Don't worry, darling. The Twin Geeks are back. It's episode 163. David, how are you doing? I, I'm doing pretty good today. How about you, Calvin? Good. Uh, I'm ready to talk about uh, Harry Styles, if you are. Uh, how about we don't? Uh, I like that idea better. We have a whole show on that if, if someone happens to be interested on uh, the gossip that you can find everywhere else on the internet. We've also done it. Have we? I didn't realize yeah, I, I did it with my friend Wes, who does the hockey show with me. So that's nice to get like a. It was nice to like investigate like the queer trans perspective on like what Harry Styles means to the fans, all that. But nice, that's out there. So yeah, if you want to check out that kind of thing, that's available. Yeah. Uh, uh, on every page on Reddit and on our website. So yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, more uh, importantly, or uh, deep into the filmography of the Bob Altman. Deep, deep, yeah. You know, the boys at the Twin Geeks, or at the, the Daydream cast, keep announcing at the end of every episode that we're still covering Robert Altman, and they seem shocked every episode when they gotta <laughs> say, we're still doing Robert Altman. And it's like, the dude made, like, 30-something films. Like, yeah, we're tackling a big project here, and now we're in the we're in the thick of it. We're in the, the money part. The podcast, like, the breadth of the podcast has probably taken longer than it took him to make, like, a few of these combined. Like, I'm sure, like, these shoots were, like, under a month. And, yeah. Like, if no. we want to, we could have just gone and made an Altman movie with our uh, extended Twin Geeks cast, but we made yeah. a podcast. But uh, this is much cheaper. This is a much easier alternative. Um, you don't need cash to uh, fund a podcast <laughs> endeavor, it turns out. And I don't know how often people get to the end of these. I guess we should announce that we'll take, like, a... a a longer break and maybe have like some friends on or you know do something around like thanksgiving time again maybe a yeah, murph and yeah. steven could do a quiz i imagine uh, but, if you haven't dipped already from the inundation of robert altman uh you're probably sick of him too so, <laughs> well i think we just so wore ourselves worry. out so don't, uh, don't worry this is not the robert altman podcast we will not be you know <laughs> diving into his uh you know additional works outside of this afterwards we, we will do be you moving think on <laughs> You think it's impossible that we'll ever come back to McCabe and Miss Miller? I think it's very possible that that no, happens again no. somehow. For, for, fortunately, like if McCabe and Mrs. Miller was like came in the middle or after this, this like you know uh, church part here, this like hmm. sag and you know, then maybe it would feel tarnished a bit. But luckily, it comes <laughs> very early on, and it is entirely it feels entirely unassociated. So we'll do at least. I'm sure there's at least one more McCabe Miss Miller podcast in us in, in the future, in the far future. Uh, I could see it like episode 300 being like, let's do that movie that got the show together uh, Didn't we one day. Did we already do that, though? We, we, we did an yeah. episode on that. But maybe we, we could find we another We keep doing it, do though, it. like every Just few years, like thing. check in, yeah. like yeah. see hey, if our hey, evolving hey. thoughts. Twin Geeks here, five-year anniversary, here to talk about McCabe and Mrs. Miller again. Yeah, it's still a film we love, yeah. It's still we, brought us together. When we do come back from like our extended break, we should just be like other side of the wind again. Let's let's roll the tape. Let's go. You know what? Uh, that, that one might actually need to because what was it like <laughs> the third podcast we did? And yeah, it was. Yeah. It's uh, yeah. Not not only did we probably do a poor job of considering it, <laughs> seeing as it had just come out, but also more people need to see that movie and more people need to know about that movie. It's still yeah. around. It still exists. They haven't they haven't gotten rid of it yet, as far as I can tell. I don't just want to be in, like, the press cycle on that, a movie that we both loved so dramatically. Like, I'd like to keep bringing that around and, and showing people you could still watch these Netflix movies after it's off the front page the first week. Yeah, you know, ten tips that Netflix doesn't want you to know. <laughs> yeah, but movies still exist. 
Well, speaking of movies that still exist, how about <laughs> the first of these next five Altmans, Secret Honor? Yeah, that that certainly does exist. Um, a very impressive uh, performance-led movie that I, I'm struck by more, I think it's my third time, second and a half or third time. Um, and and I, I greatly appreciate what's going on here. So you had seen this one before? Yeah, I have at least seen it once or one and a half times. I know I've I've tried it a couple times and I have finished it before. This is this is a real interesting one I think from Altman. It was made when he was a teacher at the University of I'm just gonna say Minnesota off the top of my head. That's probably wrong, but <laughs> um, I haven't I haven't done the requisite research here. Uh, and he just like used his students to uh, make it. To, to, to like shoot the film and they just you know had this small set that they built and they got Philip Baker Hall uh, to just come and, and uh, do his thing they did on stage uh, which was written by Donald Freed and it's just a one man fictionalized uh, portrayal of Richard Nixon in his later years kind of reflecting on and contemplating and raging about all the things that went wrong and trying to preserve this idea of his legacy and such. And it's pretty terrific. And uh, yeah, I, I love the opening title cards. Like, this is just a representation, like, for understanding, for a better understanding of Nixon. It was Michigan, by the way, not Minnesota. Michigan, okay. I got the, I got the M right, but that was it. Yeah, the, um, yeah, M's and I's in those words. It's true. Yeah, they're, they're like middle northern states in the u.s you don't know the difference uh, the midwest uh, begins somewhere and it ends somewhere but yeah this is uh pretty terrific again coming in kind of in the middle of a dearth of quality in the filmography there kind of like uh well i mean not like total dearth like there were some pretty great films we talked about last time too and, and there's still a good ones <laughs> here to come this is this is a pretty nominal one I think um, our, our total frustration is that like all the films are basically the same with varied subjects and like whether or not they're good hasn't really attributed like what the form is like the form's pretty consistent but uh, uh here like one man in a room that's different right yeah very very different still this is again probably like the apex of Altman's political fixation unless you want to talk about <laughs> Tanner on Tanner where he literally just put an actor into a political race and shot it which is pretty cool and I don't want to talk about that. Talk about that. Um, <laughs> okay, I, well, sorry, sorry for bringing it up. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I, I do like, uh, I mean, you could look at some of the things going on now. It'll always be relevant to American politics, like this uh, figurehead of the country wa- losing his mind. I mean, it was a watershed moment, you know. <laughs> yes. <laughs> sure. I see what in, you're getting in, at. In American politics, uh, yeah. a turning point that we, we kind of haven't ever recovered from. Probably the biggest mistake um, in in political terms, in terms of doing something that, that should have not been done. I, yeah. I guess, like, there are other things as well, but, like, that one, that one always stands out. Yeah, that's just, a, like, a big turning point of, of uh, our faith. And, and, this and very system. clearly was a fixation for Altman. He was kind of obsessed with this thing that you know that happened with nixon here and so i'm, I'm glad just... that he got to, got to work it out of the system <laughs> i'm glad he got this therapy session with the students where he really got to work through every uh moment of his fixation and i mean it's it's a total fixation here uh, uh which is i think my enjoyment is that you could feel the passion in all the words here if if there is an issue with the film i think it's that 
you really have to know what happened with Nixon and Watergate and every all of his, his political career leading up to that uh, to kind of really appreciate the context <laughs> of everything that's being said because it doesn't treat you as if you're not aware. It doesn't, like, you know, give all of the information of his political background and all the people that he's talking about and chastising in these, you know, harangues and stuff. Uh, it's just throwing out all of this information, you know, about the, the Kennedys and Kissinger. <laughs> yeah. And it talks about, you know, Douglas and such. Uh, and if you don't know who those people are, you might be a little confused as to what's going on. <laughs> I mean, even, even I'm a little bit, I'm not an expert on, on right, even American right. politics. I don't, I don't pretend to be, but I, I like watching films about it. Look, it, it was it was fifty years ago, you know. Yeah. Uh, it, it's back then. It was on the tips of everyone's tongues. They knew what this was in their moment, right? So. Definitely, but like certain elements of of the Nixon legacy has have persisted through, you know, the history of till today. That just like kind of nominally everyone know, knows about, you know, but not everything. Certainly, <laughs> people probably aren't as familiar with the scandals that uh, booted Agnew out of office, you know. Um, so, yeah, if you don't know about that kind of stuff, then you might be a little lost trying to follow the, the film. But you still get the sense of things and the, and the capture, the portrait of, of paranoia and regret and, you know, uh, a, kind of, a kind of humanized aspect of it, too. This kind of, you know, following, you know, this uh, down a rabbit hole of uh, attempts at grabbing for power and stuff. And, that, and that's what I really like about this because it doesn't feel just like Nixon the political monster Nixon you know the the criminal you know that, that you're, you kind of see these cardboard portraits of in, in pop culture otherwise it does really feel like it's grappling with the motivations and the ideas that you know kind of pushed Nixon to do the things that he did and you know wrangle with powers in the ways that uh, he did and and that I think is very interesting it's a very interesting psychological portrait that's rendered through a really terrific performance um it's I, so I, good yeah philip urhall is just a, a absolutely phenomenal and enrapturing and he really just like keeps your attention <laughs> I, I can't how can you <laughs> how does one person just like keep your attention wrapped for 90 minutes you know just straight nothing else nothing else in the room it's just him in a room Nothing uh, but monologue, some, yeah. Yeah, the whole time. It's pretty fantastic. And I, I just find it so enrapturing that I don't know if it's the best political movie as a, a cohesive whole. Like, I could watch All President's Men or something. But, um, but like, favorite political for performance of, like, someone portraying a president? I don't know. Like, it's high up there. I, I can't think of anything better when I was watching it. I was just so fixated on him. I, I guess from like terms of presidents, I mean, you you have a relatively small pool to f pull from. You know, there's yeah. 46, but not all have been portrayed. Nobody gives a shit about William Henry Harrison. He died 31 days in office. There's no movies <laughs> about him. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's just like the whole political movie. I mean, there are a lot of political American movies, of course, and movies where there are fake presidents. But, uh, yeah, mm -hmm. real president movies. Uh, Lincoln is okay. Daniel yeah. Day-Lewis is another favorite. Do you think he's a good Lincoln, like, versus Philip Baker Hall's Nixon? Yeah, yeah, I love Day-Lewis uh, in, in this, most there's things. A, there's a bunch of Nixon movies. Didn't 
didn't Kevin Spacey play Nixon in a movie? <laughs> and there's like Frost Nixon. Um, yeah. There's there's a few. Frank Langella, yeah. Yeah, some presidents get the bulk of the movies. Though. Like, I imagine Trump will also get hit, like the, the lion's share of movies about modern politics, while we won't get any Obama movies. I yeah, I don't know. We, we had at least one, I think, right? Wasn't there like Obama? A, yeah, well, it was called like Barry or something, wasn't what, it? it was, like, what was that? Clip. Is that the show that was like way, way off on like the dialogue between the... There was like this sitcom that was just like the Obama family that was incredibly embarrassing on I can't Twitter. Find it. I can't find it. The only thing that's coming up is the damn, the the damn Bill Hader show. How am I supposed okay. to? Crap. Anyway, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. As far as like Trump films go, though, again, it's like one of those things, like the, the SNL problem. Like at a certain point, like you just can't like parody that anymore. Like I, yeah. How how can you do any depictions like serious? I don't know. I, I don't want to see a Trump movie either. Like, I don't think there's any appeal in that for anybody. I think it will happen a lot uh, in like ten years or, or like when Trump's dead. I think it will. I think it will come out. But I can see. I can see a Joe Biden movie making sense. <laughs> like, you, you got the early life, and you've got like the like him running for president in like the I think it was the the eighties, and then like his his wife dying, and then that's a big tragic yeah. arc yeah. for him. And then, and then you got the the redemption. Yeah, it's got it's got a nice arc to it. You can I can see that. Happening. I think that's I think that's part of his election appeal is that he just had like that natural like movie or like American story arc like the great American story is like that you know it's easy to chart at least uh, whereas like Trump's like Citizen Kane story is also appealing to, to like another <laughs> that's, you know another base that's how you do it you just remake <laughs> Citizen Kane and you slot in Trump with it yeah I, I, would, I, I would see would that work. yeah. Um, We'll find a, a lost uh, Orson Welles movie predicting this somehow, um, where he's remade it, uh, or um, Disney could remake it. They're good at remaking things. Um, yeah, it, this is a nice break from I think like that. How I was becoming very tepid about Robert Altman, thinking like he was just a one mode director, to see yeah. like this like breakthrough performance that's so singular and and well, isolated. That's the thing is that it's, it's kind of anti Altman or off. Yeah. In terms of what you expect, because, you know, the big thing with him is, like, he's big and grandiose and overlapping dialogue and, you know, numerous casts and such. And then this is, like, the inverse of all of that, you know. And then there, there's, there's still, like, choruses of sound behind him, too. I mean, there's still, like, the noise of, like, radio or TV or whatever, you know, like, yeah. electronics there, feedback. And there's still that certain amount of interruption or improvisational sense that you get watching it. But again, it, like, this goes back in terms of, like, the other stage works, you know, he does the sees where uh, the the more structure he's provided with, the 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 better he seems to operate. It has kind of like a uh, an endpoint to kind of drive towards, an essential thing to build uh, around more easily, as opposed to just a concept and then just kind of running wild. Those are those ones that have promise but don't come to fruition ultimately. You know that we saw a lot of in in the last ones. Yeah. Yeah, so this is, again, it's a, such a great performance, and I think Altman's cinematography uh, highlights it really well. You know, it never calls too much attention to itself, but, it, it, you know, it's good at accenting certain moments throughout. Um, and it, I think it's really en enrapturing and fascinating, even if you don't entirely know what's going on uh, <laughs> in terms of what the fuck he's talking about, because there's, there's definitely a lot of moments where even if you do know like everything about the Nixon administration, uh, you might you might get a little lost with all the the, the the names and events that you have to juggle. 
he's more fixated than you could possibly be in modern times. So yeah. I'd be keeping up with Altman's fixations. So at least there's a movie to show it, so we could see it. Yeah. In full here. Would so, you say he's beyond therapy? Is that? <laughs> we'll get there. Don't worry. We'll get uh, there. Okay, because, that's not because good. next next is uh, Fool for Love. Okay. And I, and uh, I would say he's a fool for love. That, that uh, yeah. Well. Yeah, I would say so. Um, are 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 you a fool for fool for love? No, I think I'm. I think I'm a. a uh, romantic. Yeah, ro- romantic love. for. Uh, I don't know. This is this is bad. <laughs> yeah, it's not a. Good are you thing. are you a fool for fool for love? Is the real question. Yeah. Uh, I I mean I like. I like kind of living in, in these Altman spaces sometimes where it's just kind of, uh, I, this one also, like, I like when there's not dialogue. Like I, I like how there's just like some the, empty the, spaces here. The first 10 minutes then I'm sure you were really taken with because there's, <laughs> no dialogue. Was, <laughs> there's no dialogue for a good while. It's, and, and I agree with you in terms of, like you said, the Altman spaces, the, the best thing about Fool for Love is this sense of place, this the yeah. setting that it establishes it's it's really clear and it's really interesting and full of character you know this this motel out in the middle of nowhere the these kind of uh you know it, what's in arizona or new mexico i think uh, yeah somewhere in american so these, desert it's all these the same got, they've got these like adobe like houses with neon lighting there's this kind of interesting contrast to there in terms of design and it's really nice just kind of going between these you know buildings here uh these kind of three main buildings that the entire story takes place within which again this is this is a really great example of capturing the sense and the isolation and the intimacy of the stage while still translating it to a more tangible and immersive you know place that you can kind of get a sense of through locations that you can only capture on film so that is a really great element of Fool for Love. Yeah, while it's brought out of the play, he still has, like, that Mojave, like, desperation of the desert that's, like, built into, like, the setting of the uh, motel and the uh, yeah. other two buildings we get, but uh, you don't get tired of the, of the buildings. Like, the spaces are so much characters, and the, the characters in them so match those places that I I think it's at least uh, uh, worth some watch. I, I would maybe see it again one day, uh, once I've forgotten it. I've almost seen- forgotten it. It seems like there's something there. There's some appeal, right? There, there's kind of like an inherent appeal in like this, this you know, pulpy sense in that you've got a, you know, a, a conflict of, you know, the, a bickering couple who, uh, you know, hate each other but can't stay away, you know. They're just, they're, they're both so toxic that they kind of deserve to, to be with one another in a certain extent, but also, you know, the, the the woman uh, here is uh, Kim Kim Basinger is uh, trying to get away, doing her best from the Sam Shepard character who wrote yeah. the the play. By the way, I don't know if you knew. That. Oh yeah, he, yeah, he wrote yeah. the play. This was based on, but this is the only time he played it. He didn't play the part on stage, which is interesting. Oh, he didn't. I thought he. No. I thought he was okay. Okay. Yeah, he, yeah. He, I know he, he wrote it, but no. Apparently, Altman like insisted he be he he star in it. So. <laughs> And he's all right in it. I mean, I I think it is his voice. It is one of those like singular voices where it feels like Sam Shepard's talking. The the problem I have is that they don't feel like characters so much as they feel like a couple. Uh, (laughs) Sure. You know what I mean? There, like their their entire 
characterizations are based on their relationships to to one another. There's no individual facets that really define them as people. Like any any understanding we have on them is predicated on the relationship do they have either to each other or to someone else. Um, Very reverse Beckdale. That's what you're saying. It's uh, yeah, I, I guess. I mean, this film doesn't pass because there's like three characters. It's technically yeah. more, but uh, they're very obvious Altman additions. That's something that the <laughs> stage play only has the three characters. It has her and him, and then the old guy who here is played by Harry Dean Stanton. And yeah. then there's a, I like there's a Stanton, by the way. I'm a Stanton. I mean, how, fan, so. how? Yeah, how can you not? He he's MVP of the film because he's the MVP in everything. He's, a, yeah, he's, I agree. he's great. And he's selling this this character, this uh, kind of mysterious, you know, person that's hanging around, but that clearly has like a history with them. Uh, great, it, even though I don't think that the script in here necessarily backs him up on that. I think he does a terrific no. job with lackluster writing. Um, is he an Altman creation? That is he like created into this? He's not in the no, play. His uh, no, it, it would be interesting <laughs> because he's he's pretty uh, central to to an important plot point. Okay, it, he is in know, both. Yeah, no, it's so it's just those three who are the characters in the play. Everyone else, the woman who shows up, you know, uh, and like shoots up the place, is a total Altman invention. The uh, the, the the girl you see, and all the the I, I assume at least the flashback stuff. The flashback stuff is uh, annoying to me because I think it <laughs> yeah. it really breaks up the pacing of things and it destroys the isolation of the setting. It's entirely antithetical to the the kind of small setting and you know the stage setting there that you get by taking it away from that again that's w one of those temptations of cinema just because you can take get away from the space that you're in to tell this you know parts of the story that happened in the past uh doesn't mean you should like that you yeah. know if it if, if on the stage if it's delivered through monologue and that works functionally then you can do you can accent that you know in, in a number of ways uh, that is helpful to it. You know, you don't have to flash back. Sure. I think you asked me to like consider the uh, Twin Peaks or Harry Dean Stanton of it all. Maybe I, I I thought about it, and I think the like actual parallel might be like Wild at Heart. Might be like the the closest, like Southern there, America spaces and there and there was definitely love. yeah. There was definitely a Lynchian element that caught me off guard at a certain point. Where yeah, and Stanton's like, in both. He's in Wild at Heart yeah, too, so that's yeah. my connection. There was some weird shit, maybe some a little touch of Mulholland Drive and, and some of the dreamier aspects. I get like in, in terms of like it, it specifically coming from him and the way he's recounting some of these things and how it maybe sort of ties like past events with certain characters in, into the present as well. Again, it's this kind of ethereal weird thing that doesn't entirely work uh, <laughs> I, I i felt like if it, it felt uh needlessly esoteric there was always that story of them uh them both losing uh best director together at the same time like uh uh 2002 ish i forget which exact movies but uh Two i know was it in, in in the 2000s yeah like 2002 ish and i know that like that lynch came and like consoled him yeah, Gosford Park and Mulholland okay. Drive. That would be. I guess the story was like, yeah, it's actually a good thing that we that we lost this. You know, our our art might mean something. Was kind of message that was kind of passed between mm -hmm. them, I believe. But uh, we'll, we'll get there. But there's a there's yeah, that's a just story. for the Lynchian. There's there's a great story of Altman at the Oscars in in 2001 just being high off his ass the whole time, like 
because he eats like a ton of brownies beforehand. So that's good. Yeah, that's great. I'll, I'll dig up more for that episode when we get there. But uh, yeah, did you have any like big takeaways from this one other no. than like the couple? Things? There's there, there's the there's again there's there's the plot twist that happens. It's like oh that's an interesting wrinkle. Um, but but like it doesn't do like a whole lot like I, I it kind of recontextualizes it certainly recontextualizes the the nature of the couple's uh, you know attraction and uh, you know uh, frustration towards one another but it, I I don't know that it entirely explored it because again I, th- I think it's very much more interested on being mysterious and kind of vague about everything so to a point where it feels more like a hook, you know, and a kind of uh, exploitation deal than a, uh, a a real meaningful, you know, narrative development. Like the, I see the play was like uh, nominated for a Pulitzer. Do you think like a, I think about like stage shows like Dear mm-hmm. Evan Hansen, like how it was like beloved by Broadway. Do you, I'm not saying there's a lower level of like plays have to do a little bit less. I'm just saying this is any kind of movie wouldn't, I mean, it it wouldn't sweep anyone away. I don't, I, think. I don't know. Like, again, like any prizes are kind of arbitrary to begin yeah. with, you know. Pulitzer is like... pretty valuable, but uh, yeah, yeah, generally yeah. that's the one prize I really believe in. So I'm, I'm like surprised to see it based on. So I don't know. It feels like it I'm translated sure. the space as well, but maybe there's an incredible something. story. I got Pulitzer Prize winners. Let's let's find something controversial. <laughs> Bob Dylan. Uh, Bob Dylan's controversial. Uh, to have a, a musician win a writer award was a. That he didn't want. Uh, yes, that's true. Um, Kendrick Lamar. I love Kendrick Lamar. Um, but that was a music award uh, for a musician, so that makes a lot of sense. Uh, just um, give me names. I thought it would give me, like... Uh, Under the Volcano, people. good book. Um, Drama, winning works, okay. All the Light You Cannot See, my favorite modern piece of literature that's a, a Pulitzer winner. Um, Ka- I don't know. I'm not, are, you, are, you, are you a fan of Tennessee Williams? I mean, like, he's, he's revered, but... No, uh, I mean, I, not especially. It's fine. Right, right, like, that's right, so, like, but maybe that's more of our thing. I don't know. I'll, I'll stand by, like, Deathless Salesman, at least. You know, that's always... Yeah. Uh, oh, this one's interesting. Lost in Yonkers from Neil Simon. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a nice show. It's not... Yeah. I, I don't think about... When you say Pulitzer... Prize winning. I don't think about that as being, you know, like a Pulitzer one. I, I actually, uh, I did the the lighting on that show for a local playhouse for like oh, an, nice. entire, uh, an entire run. So I watched it every night for, uh, you know, like two months or whatever. Uh, so so I got pretty familiar with it, but I, I can't tell you a whole lot about it. I can't recall how much because again, it's not that important or distinct. <laughs> sure. I. Uh... I must only know the uh, fiction winners. Uh, I read all the Pulitzer Prize winning books. It's like I, like people get through these letterbox lists. That's one of my things. Is I read each year's Pulitzer winner. Uh, so maybe it means something to me in like some extended way, but not really. I don't. I don't really care about like plays. I, I don't go to. Oh, plays. okay. I, I found it. South South Pacific won uh, a, a Pulitzer. Uh, yeah, okay. So it's definitely it's definitely a tainted. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> you finally found one that uh, that taints it. Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. That one does. Driving Miss Daisy also on here. Okay, <laughs> fair enough. Um, lots of good books though. Uh, 
Oh yeah, yeah. I'm I'm looking at the plays, obviously. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't acknowledge plays as art. So, uh, <laughs> do we have any more movies to discuss that aren't? Yeah, plays? yeah. Oh, I guess I should before I move on. Uh, I should just say that the the twist is spoilers in full. Oh, yeah. That uh, they're they're half brother and sister. <laughs> yeah, that's context. Yep. Yep. That's it. <laughs> anyway, uh, the next film on our list here is uh, one I know you enjoyed a lot, uh, O.C. and Stiggs, which, uh, l- like great uh, Pulitzer Prize winning works, you know, is uh, based on a National Lampoon story. What did, what did you think of this one? It's it's so hateful. I, I don't enjoy it. I, would, you I say just... would you say it's the most hateful film this week? I think it's his most resentful film, especially like of the youth. I think it's just so ugly. I, I don't know that it's resent. I think we might have a different take here. I don't I don't okay. like it either. I think it's a failure, but I think it's trying to do something and be satirical and in the spirit of what the article was. I think, or or at least my, my understanding is that Altman wanted to like lampoon the teen comedies of the era, and. Like, very obviously just didn't succeed at that. Like, I think at best, he just made a teen comedy of the era. <laughs> and he kind of made, like, the one that represents the one that would come right after him. Like, he kind of made, like, uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off before that was a thing. Like, um, this yeah, kind of came before I, the ones that it would seem like it's lampooning, and those just this became this. It at least came after, like, Fast Times, though. So, like, Fast Times. Wasn't it made like, before, though? Or, I don't know, the timeline. This came out in 85, Fast okay. Times... And this was shot in like eighty two, right? Or... Oh, right, right, yeah. So eighty two. So it, it maybe it was around, around the same then. time, maybe the same time as Fast Times. Anyway, yeah. So it's it's like a little preceding uh, those, but yeah, it's another one. This is his only like studio movie until the player. <laughs> I just don't know what it's responding to since it is grouped with like the impetus of those things becoming a thing. It just seems to be like at that moment where that's formulating, and seems like the wrong response to me because those. There are better versions that just do this. So, so the big thing is that I what I take away is that it's supposed to be a knock on and a, and a, and a satire and expose on uh, conservative yuppie culture of the time yeah. of of successful exploitative upper middle class people. You know, they, they the, the, the the titular characters are recounting their their totally awesome summer of terrorizing this upper middle class family who runs like it's a oh it's a, it's a tax firm or something so. they just spent yeah. the whole movie sabotaging them yeah yeah in, in very and in increasingly like kind of mean-spirited ways yeah um i think i just get very uncomfortable around i think it's probably his most like homophobic seeming film we we talked about I, how I like he he was sympathetic uh, but i think his characters are extremely repugnant here to it like i i can't believe in them or i can't follow them yeah uh it's it's very baked into the attitudes of the time so there is a lot of uh, a bit of homophobia kind of going around but uh i, I think there's again i've done like kind of more reflecting on it after the movie and trying to kind of consider because at first i was really upset with more of the racism that that was kind of mentioned in it you know there's these kind of very uh gross characterizations of uh, African-American characters and uh, uh, Asian characters in the, in the film. But 
uh, particularly uh, towards its uh, black hair because of how it utilizes uh, Melvin Van Peebles in the film. Yeah, yeah, legendary, uh, you know, black filmmaker, underground filmmaker, Melvin Van Peebles is in the film as a as a wino. Uh, and and at first I thought that was uh, kind of really sad, like like just this very sad portrayal, like like reducing him down to this, uh, you know, like very demeaning kind of role. But yeah. as, as I watched, it became clear to me that the intent was again to to satirize that kind of thing and to depict it with um, with sympathy. You know, his character uh, dies at a certain point, and and they uh, honor him by by burying him on a golf course, uh, which is which is funny. Yeah. Uh, I, I think, and again, in, in in the spirit of that, and they're, and they're looking as a part of their revenge to, you know, kind of, you know, get vengeance for the the, the spirit of his uh, death on these, you know, uh, upper middle class white assholes. And, and and I was like, that's the intent here, and I'm and I'm giving the film a lot of leeway for intent, but ultimately, mm-hmm. like the execution just doesn't feel like it supports it that well. Have, have you seen any Van Peebles, by the way? Yeah. Um, okay. I love gonna... Sweet Sweetback's Badass Song, mm-hmm. uh, which was uh, uh, tagged uh, Rated X by an all-white jury was uh, uh, his tagline for it, which I think is the greatest tagline of any film. Terrific, yeah. So yeah, he's obviously an iconic uh, figure here. And I, yeah, I, I love I, him. I, I, I get the sense that he wouldn't participate in something like this if he wasn't doing it, you know, like, knowingly. Like, he, he doesn't... Oh, yeah. Even, you know, he, he's not up here just you know playing the roles that you know the the well you know white stereotypes uh him as so there, there was obviously an intent to to satirize and flip that idea on its head but i just don't think it comes through sure. in the script uh in, in the execution at all yeah i don't think he would do anything without total respect for altman despite for me yeah some there's racial just, overtones here those just dumb things like they just literally get Dennis Hopper to do the Apocalypse Now thing again, like he's yeah. he, they, they literally just grab him in as like a, a Vietnam vet and just make him do the same like you know uh, mannering thing you know where he's just like talking on at, at no end about the war and shit. Uh, all the while they have this like Doors esque music playing underneath his introduction. I was like, this is just like the dumbest like most straightforward parody you could do and to, to what like what are you lampooning here you're is it a parody it... or is it just doing that again <laughs> yeah just like you're just doing a, a, you're just sticking an apocalypse now character in here and i don't i don't understand what you're getting what you're getting at with it uh, maybe he just loves hopper and, and van peebles maybe they, they're just you know maybe they're all brothers and they, they just love each other that's mm-hmm. good i don't i don't recommend reading the source material by the way if you're not a big fan of the oh no because it's yeah it's did you look uh yeah uh asia actually read it uh when we were going over the film so okay i i'm not a national lampooner i'll watch the movies i i'm not going to probably read it's interesting because it's not really it's not advertised as a national i mean like because national lampoon is as far as the films that's its own label separate from the magazine so i guess i get that but uh it's, it's certainly in the advertising. It's not made o- overly clear that it's from like a National Lampoon story. Yeah, I mean, uh, it, it you could watch it and you know, uh, kind of leave that behind. I, I uh, like. I, I guess I'll say the same thing that I said last episode, though. 
I like Paul Dooley. I like Ray Walston. I like these character actors in things, you know? <laughs> sure. Um, you could... I oh, think it's it... not... It's not a tax service. It's like a, it's a okay. housing thing. Because the whole thing, the whole reason they hate the guys is because they're kicking out one of the guys from, from his home. Like, they're making it... Or it's, 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 it's insurance. It's insurance. It's uh, health insurance, specifically. So... He, he, their grandpa is getting kicked off of health insurance. Health with two capital H's. Is, is, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and, and Ray Walston plays the kind of like half-year grandpa. Yes. And he's, and he's delightful. I like him. I wish I liked watching the movie. Yeah, I, it's... <laughs> I'd be inclined to recommend like watching it again if there was anything of value to get like, to, like to yeah see. i can't find the reason no, for it. like and e even as i explain and i kind of like justify why it's not as bad as you think it is well you're just saying bad. what's there it's it's fine. Yeah, yeah 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 so and again i'm not i, I would not recommend you go back to reevaluate it by any means it's not <laughs> well done at all again the, i mean the, the at best the defense... it amounts to a mediocre <laughs> rendition of what isn't attempt being attempted here <laughs> Again, like the defense against like the homophobia is like that's just a, a movie of its time. The real thing is it's a racist movie, you know. Like yeah, like, yeah, that's, that's your defense that of the movie. When you, when, you, when you were first telling me about it, you you were very you were a lot more fixated on the homophobia, and I was that's like, true. It's like, both. Yeah, I, I was almost like not even seeing it. I was like, but there's plenty of racism going on here. It's just something I was thinking about with Altman because he kept bringing it up in his films, so I keep looking for that perspective, maybe. Yeah, but. Well, it's, uh, that's it's true. There's more. We had different, different interpretations. Again, like less sensitive interpretations and in like streamers. But then you had something like come back to the five and dine Jimmy Dean, Jimmy Dean, which uh, I felt was you know properly representative or at least sensitive to you know the, those issues. But uh, at least as a character like of that of that ilk, that's very uh, progressive. Yeah, but yeah, definitely not the case here or or in the next film either. Uh, or, you want to talk about that uh, one? Beyond therapy? Is yeah. That okay. Yeah, yeah that's, that's nice. maybe that has more homophobia or more. Uh, it it definitely does. It it definitely does. It's 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 pretty repugnant. It's it's absolutely intolerable. Is it supposed to be funny? I don't I don't get the sense that the film is supposed to be. Fu it's it's designed like a wacky comedy. Um, but is it but, for laughs? Like, is the is the objective laughs, or is it? I don't, what's the I objective? Don't, <laughs> I don't quite know again because it's not like it's not like. I guess again, if I if I'm to try and put it in the mold of an Altman work, you know, like what is Altman attempting here? He's attempting to like satirize the dysfunction of like <laughs> the the dating scene or relationships between. You know, people, and yeah. maybe some commentary about you know this uh, you know un, uh, mismanaged uh, you know psychological you know consideration about like ther therapy as an industry, which again is, is more of a punchline than a facet of the film. I would say it, it doesn't come up that often. It's way more about these these different intersecting couples um, hanging out in a hotel that is in Paris but supposed to be New York I, I'm confused because they show the Eiffel Tower at the end but the story was set in originally in New York and the opening makes it look like you're trying to make it look like New York yeah it's, it's New York but it just shot looks like shit. it's Paris 
as New York, right? Like they're shooting yeah, in Paris, they shot it, and it's they New shot York. It in Paris. Just because Altman was living in Paris, he just wanted to make it there. I mean, but I would I, too. I guess. But I, I feel like leave Paris. I, I feel like they tried to make it look like New York to an extent, but the, the waiters are also speaking French in the beginning, but nobody else is at any point. It's very cute. Yeah. And it, it has an immediate crisis of identity right out the gate. You don't know where the fuck you're supposed to be. And like I said, it ends with the shot. Like, you got the big wide shot of the city. You see the Eiffel Tower there. And it's like, where are we? Where do you want us to be? <laughs> and who are these people? I feel like Jeff Goldblum could have been, like, the continuation of, like, an Elliot Gould type for Altman, if it worked. Um, I could have seen him having that charisma and same presence. This was... This came out right after the the fly, by the way, like uh, a year after. Like, how's so it possible? Go, yeah, I know, right? I just I just wanted to give you that context because it feels like what whiplash, what whiplash in terms of quality. But the, the the I guess the pitch of the movie is that Jeff Goldblum is uh, a sex addict. Would you say he's really into yep. sex and he's and he's bisexual? Uh, a bisexual and, addict. Yep, and and that's his his whole deal and so he's he's constantly like he, he goes out on this date with with this uh woman um uh played by julie haggerty um to, to good actors in this movie by the way yeah, christopher guest also <laughs> yeah and Chris, christopher guest is his stereotypically gay partner that he's but but he's going on all these dates with with women and again yeah. julie haggerty is just disgusted with him as yeah. soon as she learns that that he's bisexual and uh, just throws out every conceivable hateful slur in, in the most like condemning and like furious kind of way possible, and it's and it's so awful. Uh, you get you, I get the sense watching this like oh it wants to make fun of these kind of just like rhetorically yeah. hateful people, but like I just feel like you're just putting out more hate through these, and you're just amplifying that, and you're not critiquing it enough <laughs> in a way that. And- and in any way, you know, like like claps back against that. It's just like platforming, you know. It's hate like their hatred isn't a joke the same way sex addiction is not a joke. It's an addiction that's detrimental to people's lives. It's not. And I don't know. I, I can never find no, humor in it. And there's no sense of sympathy for the the play. Yeah. Again, like the the Jeff Goldblum's character is like they they just make him out to be this kind of horn dog character who's like just you know sex obsessed, you know. Uh, and again, even even as much sympathy as they led Christopher Guest's character for being, you know, the the, the victim of so much of this hateful homophobic rhetoric, uh, he's still like, you know, a, a limp-wristed, you know, uh, caricature who who has a you know unhealthy relationship with his mother and talks in an effeminate way. And again, it's just all these very basic and kind of like hateful representations, you know. I think this one actually made me angry at, at points, or it's just, like disaffected it, with Altman at, at moments. Yeah, this this one felt like a I I can't tell you anything redeeming here about this. Like I just yeah. felt like suffering from the very beginning all the way to the end, uh, and and I was just like kind of gobsmacked by how insensitive it was, just entirely out of touch, and how mediocre it was otherwise in things, you know. Because yeah. again, there's, there's like just like poor filmmaking on display when it's not being horrendously offensive. Yeah, there's just there's nothing. I wouldn't recommend it, for, especially not 
not people looking for the things that are in it. No, uh, no, and again, I, I don't have any... Like, uh, it, as with all of the... You know, mo most of the other cases here where we've talked about a bad Altman film, we're still like, oh yeah, there, here's a thing he's trying to do, or here's an Altmanism that's going through. I can't, I can't point here and say... I can't even say, oh look, there's those signature Altman zoom shots, or like the overlapping dialogue, like... I'm, yeah, I'm, I wasn't even able to parse out that from the drudgery of, of this shit here. It was just it was a it was a miserable watch that was just so full of hatred and you know uh, <laughs> again like uh, under the pretense of being like like comedic and again like oh all these people are just these you know wackos you know they're they're totally again be, beyond their like this idea that uh, they're they're you know. That beyond help, effectively. You know, yeah. They're, they're, another they're, message I don't like. Uh, yeah, because yeah, that's a, again a, a, a whole sticking point. Because another thing is like the therapist that uh, Julie Haggerty has is like uh, someone she was with before. Yeah. So that's like another point of like oh you know in, you know improper practice. It just says someone very interested in like rehabilitation and therapy and all that. I mean. It's not. I, I was reminded also because of Julie Haggerty of it noises off in terms of like a you oh, know, yeah. overlapping you know characters who are all in, in bed with another one another and it's like a, just a total calamity you know and, and everyone what a fun movie a joke yeah but like yeah, like obviously the difference there comes down to just like a incredible execution of technique there you know it's a big <laughs> thing but also like where all jokes because you can have a movie. That's just full of despicable people, obviously. Sure, yeah, and, and and they can be funny if they're if they're despicable enough. Yeah, and... again, if, as long as you have your humor pointed at the right place, at the individuals, and you know, and highlighting and you know, lampooning their their flaws instead of again just like it's just hate speech. Like it's just like hate speech is the punchline for a, bit, a lot of the time, and we're supposed to I don't know like uncomfortably laugh at how awful they are. Like is that the is that the joke? I, I don't think that that's supposed to be a funny thing. In every other case, like the toolkit of Altman's been so evident that I could overlook like a lack of substance, or the message has been so obvious I could overlook um, a lack of like actual messaging. But I can't I can't find either in in this one of his bad movies. Uh, this and OC, I, I can't find much. Yeah, I can never I, recommend watching them again. I I, I can never find that. I don't blame you, but I guess like just to consider here so so like what's what's Altman's funniest film then like if this is just like a total example of his you know entire misunderstanding of comedy what's his funniest film is he funny do you think I mean do you think I mean he's funny but is he funny haha or funny like oh that's a that's a funny thing he made it's it's definitely more the the latter in most cases in terms of like again like his his humor is naturally satirical it's usually right. the kind of like exposing something the, the only case i can think of where something is kind of like an explicit comedy uh that's meant to make you laugh is like popeye um you i know, think getting... sh shortcuts i think it, i find probably funniest which uh, it's just down to the writing of shortcuts i think in this situation it's the shortcuts but mm -hmm. uh, i mean that's like just like a very explicit that's a that's a funny movie i think that's uh, we'll have to uh see, it's a comedy a... uh it's also like a drama that's not like intrinsically like comedic in the same way something or like traditionally comedic i should say yeah I guess. it's not full of punchlines either uh, it's just the the writing's so so sharp there yeah so I, I guess if there is a weakman of the altman output it's it's 
comedy. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Um, it, it's I not to say he can't be because there's like there's humor throughout his films, <laughs> but it's not. Uh, it's it's not a, a, a traditional or direct humor, you know. Yeah, it's not set up delivery. Uh, it's not that kind. Uh, and this is not a good example of again of all these these last two again. They're just baked in like kind of like hateful rhetoric and stereotypes and, and grotesqueries and, and part of the intent to me at least seems like that's supposed to be like something in and of itself to ridicule yeah like yeah. it's being it's being exampled to us so that we can acknowledge it and, and properly <laughs> condemn it and ridicule it but it, it doesn't feel like the film is getting there again it's like just, so instead it's just platforming that kind of thing and that's what I looked forward to with all these Altmans. It's looking at the ones I had watched, they were all deconstructions of certain things that uh, I could at least look at this and have been like, beyond therapy, look at like what the subject matter is, what's going on with like the gay relationships or the bisexual relationships. Been like, I see what Altman's going to do. He's going to deconstruct what happens in uh, typical romantic comedy, <laughs> and then maybe not make a comedy of it. And anti-comedy, so, he verges on more often than comedy, which is a thing I like. Uh, yeah. And again, like it's, it's kind of like shocking to go get from here from something like Jimmy Dean, which is is very clearly sensitive and considerate of, and uh, obviously those come down to like just literal material differences, you know, what yeah. we're working with there. But but you assume and and you feel watching something like Jimmy Dean that the the voice and the filmmaker, you know, the Altman is sensitive to and aware of this and depicting it, but with the proper thing. And again, is, is an example where he's using hateful rhetoric but he he has the critique pointed in the right direction like when right, the characters exactly. speak in, in in slurs and in hate <laughs> there you you feel that that hatred but you feel it you know in terms of sympathy towards the the person who's receiving it and and that is not at all the case in something like beyond therapy where again like just the, the spouting of the hate is apparently supposed to be a punchline and again like everything oh. Either it rolls off Jeff Goldblum's character like it's no big deal, or he breaks down crying like it's right. a big thing that like makes him less manly now, and that's a that's a apparently an identifying aspect of his character. Ah, it's just so gross and terrible. And yeah, um, I I think my biggest disappointment in all of this is that Mash is the most consistent movie of his uh, oeuvre. <laughs> like that Mash is the most reoccurring movie I could point to and say, yeah, that's that's Mash again. But worse. Yeah, you see some of that certainly seep through. I, I Shame. <laughs> uh, I, I don't. I don't feel like it's a total down, right? I mean, this week's has given me some light and and yeah, uh, we, three points of light. I think that I we I started off. We started off on a on a good note. Let's gonna let's end with a good note. The last film yeah. we have here, moving into to the nineties. This is uh, Vincent Theo. This is his. Uh, I guess if you if you discount. Secret Honor, because it's largely fictionalized. Ah, uh, maybe not. Uh, this is this is his first like biographical. Bio, film. Maybe not because yeah. well, well, Buffalo Bill is here as well, and that's also like kind of the. Idea. It's the most uh, traditionally biopicy, sure. Yeah, I would say so in terms of like we are depicting the events of an individual's life. Like Buffalo Bill is not, you know, it's it's depicting yeah. like this, you know, scenario. scenario. Yeah. yeah, and uh, you know. Uh, Secret Honor is fictionalized, like, entirely. Like, there's yeah. <laughs> nothing about it that, that certainly happened. You know, it's a, it's a consideration of what... It's great that it's... Yeah, yeah. yeah but, but 
not not real and doesn't pretend to be real either sure yeah but but vincent theo is a is a retelling of of the life the the most successful period the most talked about period of like apparently this was actually filmed as like a tv production first and it's like two hours longer but it was like trimmed down to like the last part of his life for a theatrical release sure and just think about like vince van gogh i just think of like how ezra's starting school and i'm like joining pta and i had like these flashbacks of like pta memories of like my mother coming to school and being like a, a pta president for our school actually and uh, she'd bring in like all these things like these artists and uh from her was the first time i heard about it, and anyone in my class like knew about vincent and like his life like she had brought in all these slides and put them on like the uh what that old projector they used to use in like the 90s classrooms the overhead and uh uh, just her like introducing the class for like five weeks to like all of um the artists on you know in europe was just like that's that's something my mom gave me that's important and that we always like bonded over was like that sense of art and literature so the two things we have in common and um i guess i i i'm glad that like that foundational understanding is there like it makes me want to go into ezra's classes and like present something like that so uh, this movie just brought me back to that while I'm dealing with some of that in my life. What do you think it is about Van Gogh that remains so uh, kind of fixating and inform and uh, like necessary for us in terms of uh, you know to retell and to showcase so so often now as a you know in the 20th century and beyond? Because obviously, like the, the famous thing with him is that he only sold one painting in his lifetime. I think that's it. I think that's why we yeah, love him. And, 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 and died died in obscurity, uh, you know, uh, by, by suicide. And now he's the most famous painter in the world, most famous <laughs> painter in history, most most beloved painter of all time. I think we love irony, and, and we love irony in, like, artist stories especially. We love how huge Kurt Cobain is now, or we love how huge Van Gogh is now because... Uh, like they they bring like shitty tours to Seattle where they're like, oh, we made like a whole Van Gogh room and you can like walk through it and it's an immersive exhibit. I'm like, but that's not the painting. Like, like you guys are just extrapolating from the painting, creating something not the artist. Like, you look at the possible created industries and how art is often stolen and like brought to museums. Like the art always outlives the artist in a way that is not intended or is stolen from their culture. I think we love that. I think we romanticize when art is, like, uh, ripped off from someone's life or stolen from them. I think we, like, inherently love that to happen. We don't like them to profit from their art. It's that's, maybe more, that's maybe more cynical than how I... I <laughs> it's very, yeah. Time. Yeah, but, but yeah, I, I agree with you in the sense of irony, or at least in the sense of, like, there's there's a redemption to, to it, you know, the story there, that we're, you know... That, that, that we bask in this, you know, recognition that, that he's able to receive in his afterlife that, you know, again, the, these underappreciated artists of their time, you know, we always want to champion that more so, even, especially as, say, as, like, you know, people who are interested in film and stuff, that's what we're doing all the time, you know, we're, we're interested, <laughs> you know, that's kind of kind of our, our our mission statement here is to uplift the, the unheralded works, you know, from... From the, the drudgery of the uh, you know overly saturated market. Sure. So I, I think that's a big thing, and, and Van Gogh is like the the poster child for that, essentially. Again, like you know the most iconic example of someone because you know his stuff is going for millions and millions and millions of dollars, 
now and it's so iconic his work is so iconic you can't not Danny. associate him with like starry night that's so you know prolific now as a, as a piece of work more famous maybe than even the Mona Lisa yeah I think so those those paintings just stick with us too like they're all around us still yeah and those things that they're they're great work too even again like not, not the the starry night one or the the, the field with the the crows you know th those are two of the more immediately famous ones but even just some of the like the self portraits the many many self portraits he did are always striking and uh the the the, the works he did just in like the, the the bars and such where you get all these like individuals or like the table i, I should know the name of the whole them officially but i don't <laughs> <laughs> i should too but uh um i think uh well, representations of his life are, are so interesting to us too that it's his life well, seems seem, so visual they seem to be cinematic as well they're just inherently cinematic or at least there's a cinematic fixa uh, fixation because we have so many cinematic renditions of it so like just recently i know you know there's the a couple that were done in the past few years but also historically there's like you know a, a comparable biopic example uh kirk douglas film from the 60s called lust for life um Mm -hmm. and it has Anthony Quinn as his brother Theo and then yeah the, again there's some more recent examples there's the the Defoe film at Eternity's Gate where he has yeah. like the mutton chops and all and uh, the head wrap and uh, okay, just it, in, incredible performance but uh, okay it, maybe it, inter interesting when you get a, an actor who when doing the character is like a lot older than the character was when they died oh yeah yeah but uh, I mean Defoe could yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Again, like not not that you need an age gap, but always kind of like a hmm, you know, thing to think about. <laughs> and then what's what's the other one? The painting one, Loving Vincent. Yeah, Loving Vincent. School, the first uh, completely painted animated film that that, uh, that was theatrically released. I'm sure like someone experimented and yeah, did that, but that's that's the thing with with firsts is that <laughs> it was it was probably done in like first the to 1890s. claim it. Yeah. And nobody gave a shit, and it was lost right away. Right. And nobody... <laughs> it takes a while for, like, it's the first who did it well is always the first one recognized, I think. Um, the right. first one who claims it gets the recognition. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's a good movie. I, I liked it. Mm -hmm. I, I, as far as for what I've seen, though, and uh, Vincent Theo Altman's interpretation, I think, gets at something more than those other ones generally do. There, there's again they, because we kind of like we have this fixation on the story of Van Gogh. Um, there's a tendency to romanticize it, you know, to to such a degree that it kind of you know paints out all of the the, the, the darker elements. You know, it, it it plays up the tragedy to a point where it doesn't really explore as a genuine human consideration. Like one of the big sticking points of his life as well is that he struggled with depression and mania. Um, and you know that ultimately led to his you know uh, suicide uh, but again when, when it's always framed as a, as a tragic ending you know to him it's you know it, it kind of downplays the seriousness and the, the suffering and the, you know the the human element of that um, because you know instead it's it's more like this this narrative climax that, that we're sure. fixated as but I feel like in the case of Vincent Theo, we really get the sense of that through Tim Roth's performance and the the fixture on that and the the anger with which you see him like like burst out with. It doesn't feel you know the 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 suffering is communicated because it's not played 
for for tragedy it's played almost you know uh, I mean because it is still tragic when when you see it there but it's played in such a way that it that it feels like these these tense moments of, of, of terrifying uh, you know bursts you know or or there's the the bits where you see him like you know uh, experimenting with eating the paint yeah and sure yeah which again like like is sometimes viewed as like this quirky thing that that I got it when really again it's it's another you know uh, aspect of, of, it, of his uh, mental degradation you know right and you get the sense of that in, in this film. You really feel that sense. It's treated with like the proper, um, you know, human consideration. It's not treated as a story. And I think that's the big difference here, is that typical interpretations look at Van Gogh's life as a narrative, as a story to follow. Altman doesn't give a shit about story, and he's interested in character, and he fixates on character, and that's what he looks to explore here: the character of Van Gogh. I might say that about like at Attorney Skater Loving Vincent too. Maybe maybe Loving Vincent, but certainly at Attorney Skate, very character study, which is what Defoe does. It's his whole brand. Um, uh, here, I do like the how it's familiarly drawn from his mother and brother, and how we get so much uh, context, subtext for who he was. And that's yeah, and all, that's all really good. Obviously, the, as the title indicates, there's a lot more on this story than there is in typical interpretations, yeah. which is a very necessary facet because he was a, a vital part <laughs> in, you know, the amount of success, you know, or amount of ability to live Van Gogh was allowed, you know, because his brother did so much to support him and advocate for him and try and get his art out there. He believed in his art, you know, and wanted to, to, to lift up and, you know, financed his, you know, finance him to, to, to live on his own and just concentrate on that and you know helped with his you know medical needs and Theo has his own you know issues his own qualms yeah. his own you know he's got his addictions uh and in this case they, they you know the sexual addiction is the, the big thing they fixate on and much better handled yeah, so than that than that last time Altman approached that subject <laughs> yeah yeah very clearly yeah but but even so because there is kind of like a there's less of a compulsion or less of an interest you know that I, I think that the parts are less appealing you know uh yeah. in their overall they can sometimes detract from the the wider narrative that we're following there so it, those are some of the times that the film can be dragged down it does feel quite long uh and i think that has more to do with the, like the pacing of it feels a bit odd uh and i think that has to do with because of how it was a, a much larger project that was then cut down. Hmm. So it doesn't feel like it's paced for a two-and-a-half-hour film. No, no, it doesn't quite. Um, a lot of Altman's films feel drawn out, for, uh, we're finding, I think, but uh, um, I, I'm fine with this. I enjoyed it. I, didn't, I enjoyed it pretty no, thoroughly. I like the character study of it. It's just it's an inherently interesting story first and foremost like uh i i I can't walk into a story about van gogh and i think not be interested you know it's just it's just an inherently interesting arc to follow and great character performances there from the 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 cast members you know from shows of credits uh paul reese as as theo um and yeah tim Tim roth is absolutely uh, terrific here and of course you you get the uh, all of the paintings, which are just you know beautiful to see as you know subjects all the time. Well, one of the best things to see is just 
you know, to, the easiest thing to do in a, in a Van Gogh film is to just get a scene of him out in the field, you know, amongst the, all of the, uh, the wheat there, and just yeah. painting, painting the field as we see the picture he's painting. It's just a great, great image, great, you know, scene to kind of compose, and it's always going to play in any way you do it there. So, it's, yeah. I mean, at Attorney's Gate does, like, special things with that, too, where, where you kind of see the differences in his art and the surrounding around him, and it's just so well-framed there. Mm -hmm. uh, that, yeah, that's yeah. what you want from uh, yeah, so, Van so Gogh. You, have... you call him. You call him Van Gogh. You change your uh, chosen pronunciation. You you said you were to do the Van Van Gogh, uh, the the very I'm British. Just thinking, uh, I, I, did I now you've gone full know? American. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just. <laughs> it's fine. What, what I know. Yeah. Look, it's 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 just how we're we're taught. You know, that's how we're taught. I, I appreciate you you giving it the effort there, but like. You know, I, 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 I can only try so much <laughs> yeah. in this case. Well, and, I, and I think it's understood at this point <laughs> that this is one of those cases where it's not just, like, American ignorance. Because, again, it's other cultures that struggle with it, too. Well, yeah, Jess uh, was like, here's the here's the Dutch and the Danish version. I'm like, don't give me more. I have these three yeah. that I'm already working against myself. <laughs> yeah, so it's just it's uh, hard to do properly. I mean, to get to a point where it's, where it's so disseminated that I, just about any version I think people are going to know what you're talking about yeah, make an effort <laughs> like like yeah if I say Van Gogh though like at the at the lo local library will they know what I say like in America if I maybe Van Gogh is the preferred nomenclature out here where I, I maybe I need to at a certain point you're just being pedantic you know yeah, just say Vincent and, you gotta, and they know sure yeah so we can just roll with that did you have any other thoughts on, on the film before we move no, on? No, it's our... it's really good. I like a biopic that's just uh, from like a actual filmmaker who's like you know actually really plugged in and fits the subject well. I think Altman's a good pairing for Van Gogh, and I think uh, I I like yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, he he's the right kind of guy to again explore this kind of artist struggle idea still, without getting too you know caught in the weeds or pretentious about it. And again, like I said, it's just there. It's it's inherently attractable material with the 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 art there of the story and the impressionism of the paintings and seeing all that. All of that stuff's just really appealing and and works. And so even in the more mediocre adaptations, you're still like you're still working with great material here. So yeah. as long as you got that 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 good uh, script to go off of, you know, it's gonna work. It's gonna work to a certain degree. Absolutely. Um... How do you feel about ranking those Altman? Should we should we rank some of these? Yeah, yeah. You want to? Okay. Let's, let's let's go over the list again, and then we'll slot these five in. I'm just doing my stretches first. Okay, Robert Altman. Here we go. Uh, McCabe and Miss Miller, number one, greatest western of all time. Nashville, Three Women, The Long Goodbye, Come Back to the Five and Dime, Jimmy Dean, Jimmy Dean, one movie, Images, California Split, Popeye, Cold Day in the Park. Brewster McLeod, Buffalo Bill, and the Indians, or Sitting Bull's History Lesson, one movie, A Wedding, <laughs> Mash, Health, uh, two capital H's there, uh, Streamers, Thieves Like Us, A Perfect Couple, Quintet, Delinquents, and Countdown. I, I wish Countdown was like at the at the top. It feels like it's uh, anticlimactic uh, to end with yeah, Countdown. Then, yeah. Don't, don't worry, I, I'm feeling by the end here, you will not be ending with Countdown. No, I'll be able to do Countdown, uh, 
then uh, Secret Honor at the bottom. <laughs> no, we're not doing that again this week. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, Secret Honor. We like Secret Honor. Uh, based on like the, the solidity of like one performance and just like like you say, like the specialty of Robert Altman working with like a classroom of uh, students in Michigan. That's, that's unique in his oeuvre. Um, <laughs> I don't know where to put it, though. Uh, I, I think here's what I'm wondering, because I, I feel strongly about it. I think it's very yeah. good in, in terms of what it does. I think my, my only big hiccup with it is that it starts to wear out its welcome at a certain point, maybe like maybe like 70 minutes in, like, yeah, which does. is still, there's a long way to go off of a single performance before you start to feel like a, a little bit of disinterest seeping in. And there's only 20 minutes left in this one. I right, think. Exactly. That way, yeah. yeah, it's not the longest Altman, so it's an hour and a half, uh, 70 minutes in, we yeah. both kind of lost focus. So, that's like, so like, that's, and again, it's like where it like starts to seep in, so to a point where I'm like, maybe like you're not there for the ending, but yeah. you're there for everything leading up to it. And, and then the other thing being, if you don't know Nixon, you might be a little confused <laughs> and you're not getting everything out of this that you could. I, I mean, it surprised me. It continues to surprise me when I keep thinking about the, the performance and Phil Baker Hall's of it all. So looking at our list here, I, I think I, this rewatch had me feeling better about it than I did okay. images, I think is, is where I would, is, as high as I would put it. I'd put it right below uh, Images or California Split, I think. Or even even Popeye, since we wanted to make a strong case for that as a, a different kind of Altman film that's stronger than the film's merits, maybe. No, it's better than Popeye, isn't it? It's a... Yeah, I, I think it's better than, than Popeye. Popeye is is weird and different <laughs> and eccentric, but uh, it's it's also a, a little flawed in, in certain ways. And it, it, you definitely feel the length in that one. Uh, again, Popeye, I want to love more than I do, but I, I don't ultimately. Uh, and Secret Honor, I think, is, is definitely exemplary, and I think is worth uh, its its singular praise. And again, like I, I'm trying to think of any other case where there's like a, just a sole performance in a, in a film in a single <laughs> setting that it, it caps enraptures me as much as this does. Yeah, I, I can't think of any. As I said, I think one of the great political performances, maybe one, and next to that, you know, uh, my beloved. Um, Lincoln, uh, which which I just like the performance. I don't think like Spielberg's like the, the most master craftsman next to Altman. That's fine. Um, mm-hmm. That's fine. I I'd put it below images myself, but uh, okay. I, I think our uh, friend group is so strong on images. I want to give cut them some slack too. Yeah, and, and again, it was only just this time where I'm like maybe I like this more. Before this, I had images above it, so I'm okay. fine with that. I think images is so unique as well. Uh, so yeah, okay. Let's let's keep images above it. I just feel good, like as a representation of our site, that several people think it's images the best Altman. I I don't feel like I've ever heard the case for Secret Honor being the best. I think it's great though. And, yeah, definitely. So uh, next is Fool for Love, which is cool too. And in, in the way that I kind of felt about it, the way I felt like thieves like us, like Altman spaces are good and. Uh, singular characters are good. I don't know what the whole movie is, but I think things can be good there, and it's better than that movie, certainly. Better than, like, the MASH tier. Um, you think it's better than MASH? Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't like MASH that much. Uh, yeah, it's true, but... Uh, I, like, you know, I think I, I'd like the show of MASH more than I like the, the film of you MASH. Do. You do, de- definitely, but... 
what what is what are your big takeaways from Fool for Love? Is is the thing like at least with Mash, I can say Mash is is a very clear satire film on war. You know, it's an expose of the kind of horrors of it and this dark comedy that you know is used to kind of deal with it or kind of brush away while humanizing a lot of elements of it. Like, there's a very clear thesis to Mash, even if some of the execution is questionable, even if the ending is just big dumb football game. Yeah. You know, what is the thesis of Fool for love. Um, don't fuck with your relatives. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I, I mean, uh, I feel like it's not worse than like the very obviousness of like a wedding or Buffalo Bill as like the Altman movies. I, I think those are pretty shallow and like overall thesis too, or at least on their face, you understand them. Right, I, I feel it's a bit more than that. I get their their thesis a bit more. Fool for Love feels more like kind of like a a confusing mix of direction and intent that sure. kind of kind of works and kind of appeals, but ultimately is kind of just like a mystery at the end. Uh, you know, and it also has very flat characters. Ultimately, I don't think there's any depth to those characters. Um, you know, they're they're entirely just predicated on this kind of bickering dynamic and this big plot reveal uh at the end again uh harry dean stanton is incredibly commendable but i don't think his character is particularly great and i don't think kim basinger or sam shepherd are exactly phenomenal the sense of place is better than mesh i think it's more more Ah. conceived like the american southwest as the mojave desert the the three buildings we're dealing with are good mash mash does a good job of dressing up the american southwest as well <laughs> it does uh, well i don't know about good job it does a job of it uh, as yeah. korean war it definitely uh, dr- it definitely dresses up the american southwest as korea i don't know i, I gotta give mash credit on in terms of set design because it looks exactly the same in the show so <laughs> sure exactly the same it's, yeah it's like it they, is a- they just picked up it is actually an aesthetic that like when i think of mash the show i'm like i i visualize the aesthetic of like those like the G.I. Joe's I was buying in yeah, the, the 80s tents. that were, yeah. you know, like that very plain militarism, like that uh, field camp uh, vibe that was in those American movies, I think comes from a lot of MASH. Uh, okay, you, yeah. So, would you feel good putting it, like, between below? MASH and health? Yeah, I wouldn't put it below health, though. Uh, okay, yeah, I think that's fine. I, I okay. have it below health on mine because I'm like, uh, you know, like like health again. Another one where it's like it's got an idea and it just doesn't go with it really. And like Laura Bacall, but like it's it's like I can split hairs more so well, there. Uh, you'd I, say you do anything fruitful for love, but you wouldn't do that. <laughs> no, not quite. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I'll put I'll put it. I'll definitely concede health for fool for love. I think that's perfectly fine. Okay, that's fine. Okay. Um, I, yeah, I wouldn't put it below streamers. I think it makes sense way above uh, Thieves Like Us by a few points. That's fine. Okay. Uh, um, OC and Stiggs is next. I mean, I'd, I'd start below Quintet, I think, which is a movie where I do like the, the setting and the, the weird Iris thing. I like that it annoys you a little bit. That's good. It, it does. I, I, I really <laughs> don't like Quintet. I think it's so boring and so empty <laughs> and so needlessly confusing and then so dumb with some of its choices again like the frosted lens thing is like it's just stupid like, i'm too I, convinced it, by my appreciation for the world expos i think i uh, yeah I, I think you are but i'm that's such in like montreal's identity is like expos that was the name of their baseball team they love their expo uh, i i i know you i know you hate 
OC and Stig's a lot, though, and are just against it. And I love Montreal. Um, yeah. Is, here, I guess here's my question. Like, I'm, 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 I'm not going to bother, I think, arguing <laughs> against Quintet. Yeah. I, think, I think you can make... It's, it's, Quintet is at least, like, not, like, uh, textually offensive, as yeah. far as I can recall. Uh, there's definitely problems in, in here, so let's start. But is it better than the delinquents? No. You don't, you don't think so? I mean, there's so little there, going on in delinquents. There's, there's, yeah, but there's like the what the, you had the the shot of the guy flipping up his sister's skirt or something, right? That that was the thing. That was your that was your big takeaway from that one. I mean, I, is better the right word, or is it just like in this like field at the bottom three where it's just is there a better, or is there just like a, a relative uh, failure? I, I think it's I think it's better than delinquents because it's like it's trying. Again, it's got a thesis. It's got an idea that it's going towards and like fumbling through. And again, I like things like Ray Walston in it, you know, and I like Paul Dooley. You know, I like character actors. There's no character actors in the (laughs) Olympics. That's true. I I might like that though. I think I I think I like it more than you when there are nobodies in a movie. I think you like to be like, oh, I watched that that person from a movie. He's a player from one of my favorite directors' uh, uh, studio camps. He's a He's an Altman player. I, I sure like that about him. And I'm like, uh, I, I like a no-name. I, I like to see someone that, that doesn't exist in maybe even another I'm, movie. That fascinates like I'm, me. I'm a simple man. I see th- <laughs> something I recognize, I point at it, and I get a dopamine rush, you know? Like, I don't I don't get that, I think. That. Yeah. I don't even think I get that about actors. Like, like I think of what our friend Pavlo says. You can't like look at a film and like uh, rate the actor, which I think I do in a sense. But I don't like look at the next film and say that actor was sure good in uh, um, Mission Impossible. That uh, Tom Cruise will be really great in American Made or something. You know, like I don't. I mean, I, I I guess the big difference is just ultimately like I'm I'm interested in like a like a catalog or like a chronology of anyone. You know, and and just a general like connectivity i can bring between things I, I don't necessarily like to look at things in an isolated sense like as a, as a i mean i i do obviously but i, I like i flip back and forth on it I'm, I'm not you know just stuck uh, i don't like to stay and say this film is just its own thing you know well because uh, you're like a bit but, of a formalist you like, like to put things into like boxes like you like to you like to categorize i mean I'm, not so I'm, much yeah. like but that's also that's true in, in real life too. I'm 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 obsessively <laughs> organized and categorized, and I've, I've got everything in labeled boxes and stuff. So that that doesn't surprise me. Yeah, uh, I mean that's just my reading of you. But that's uh, enough analysis of you. Uh, you'll be on therapy. Huh? Is that our next one? Uh, yeah, and and I think this one's going to be the easiest one to side of the whole bunch. Yeah, I, I mean I'd put it below countdown. I think it's the worst. Film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's, okay. a, it's an actively objectable, objectionable film. I think we both had uh, it one out of ten, right? That's hard to come up from. We did, which we don't always come to. Again, like the, that might be the only time even, that we both done that. <laughs> there's, there's only one other one out of ten so far in all the films we've covered in the podcast that I've given, which was Zero Dark Thirty, which I, again, I was, which I, was I liked. Yeah, this messaging. Yeah, and you, and, and you like, but obviously saw it come from. And then like yeah. Blue Steel was kind of in a similar situation. Like, and and. It's also just kind of an indication of different scales. Like, there's plenty of like incredibly mediocre or shoddy films that I will give below like a three or a four. Like again, like Quint- yeah. Quintet can't be a two or a one, 
because it's not offensive. Like it's not patently offensive to me. Yeah, I think you have a, like, a scale based on. <laughs> I don't feel like your scale is based on offense until you get down to your bottom four scores, and then yours becomes. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I gotta, I gotta save the low numbers for the films <laughs> that are actively objectionable because, like, I can't be out here giving films, you know, like, you know, three stars who philosoph whose whose philosophy is entirely, you know, hateful. Deplorable. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. fair. Uh, I can because I like Zero Dark Thirty, but uh, um, yeah. <laughs> uh, but I'm fine with Beyond Therapy. I think that I like that Countdown is finally not the last movie, which bugs me every time I read down the list. So. Yeah, well now you can count down to Beyond Therapy. Uh, <sighs> Thank God. When we yeah. read off films. <laughs> All right, the last thing we have to rate is Vincent Theo. Which more interesting to rate, I think, but also probably <laughs> I feel like Altman's been pretty easy. We haven't had like the same arguments that we've had as other directors. I mean there were like points where you wanted five and dime Jimmy D and Jimmy D in the right place, that made sense. Yeah, uh, but I also I also prepared for that, you know, and right. I, I was lenient with three women to make sure you you got that. And and that worked out. And you, you ended up liking it more than I was expecting because he kept me in the dark. He kept me in the dark about a couple of these ones too. I think just because probably... I was sick for like a week, I think, because I'm not caught yeah. up on my logs this time. Yeah, so... It wasn't intentional. Um... So, like, you, I think we're in the same place for Vincent Theo, but, like, you're higher on Fool for Love than I yeah. am, I think. Which is, I think that's which, true. Which I, I'm glad. It's, cause... like, wild at heart for me in a way that I'm probably higher on that and, like, certain Lynchisms where I don't need movies to mean things. I think I, I might there... be higher in certain places. There's something about, I, I guess, yeah, to, to just... To go back to it for like a fool for love has a, a, an aesthetic and kind of like uh ambience allure that's hard to quantify and yeah. talk about it's it's got those interesting appeals and again those lynchian connections are are definitely apt um, and maybe i, I like that. that aesthetic genesequa about a movie that i don't know what i don't know what it is that i'm trying to place there but i think i i like thinking about it and my mind keeps yeah. working to find it and not find yeah, it yeah i I definitely see the appeals in it more so than what I, I give, but like ultimately when I walk away and I'm like, what do I think of it? Uh, you know, yeah. like <laughs> that, and, and, and that's the big thing I got to ask. But Vincent Dio, I can walk away and say, you know, there are lots of things I like about it. You know, I, I know I want to watch it again. Actually, um, I, I I would put I it think, on the rewatch caliber. I'm I wonder if it's possible to track down the TV version. I would be curious oh. to see. I It'd don't know. I have no idea. To watch together at some point. Um, yeah. I, I have no idea what it's like or even like what the other contents are. So I just <laughs> that, know that it, it was a thing. I think I know where we both kind of are like rating wise and I don't know at all where we both are on the chart. Like I, I've gone back and forth between three places on, on this ranking where okay. well, well, it could well, here's go. I, I, I want to ask you about the wild card one. Okay. Is this better than Popeye? No. You don't think it's better than Popeye? Uh, do you? Uh, I mean, is it better than Popeye? Yeah, is it a better uh, Altman ranking? Yeah, yeah, that's the, that's the question. I think, yeah, I think I, I think I agree. With you. It's better than Popeye on like a purely like evaluative level, but but does it deserve to be above Popeye? <laughs> is it even better or more unique than Brewster McCloud as like a Altmanisms? That's 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 a fair point. Um, that's a hard part. That's why I keep going back and forth because I was looking at Popeye, Brewster McCloud, and a wedding as possible places it should be around i i think it should definitely be above a wedding like okay. if anything That's if a good anything place i feel be. like i well, I, I was excuse me, but yeah I, I think if anything i might have overrated the wedding still like <laughs> okay 
Because we kept so. like the the more we kept going and the more we kept seeing things like like health and like a perfect couple and stuff, we just saw more. Oh yeah, there's Altman. You know, he's got the big Altman <laughs> idea and he's doing Altman things. And that's like, a wedding, I, yeah. Yeah, I feel like I was too lenient on on the wedding for like too forgiving for it just getting away with that. But, but we um, we really just wanted Altman to do a wedding thing. That's fine. Um, I know. Like, it's such. It seems like such a great idea for. But and we gave so much credit to Stephen Evan a wedding at the same time. I think. Um, for for me, I would I would put it just below Popeye above that whole day in the park. Um, because I, 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 as much as I want to think Brewster is better than it is, it is okay. ultimately I think very messy. And we don't very, love Brewster as much as other people do. Um, yeah, yeah, and I think that's the other thing that maybe might be pushing us to say, oh, maybe we need to reconsider Brewster. Is that there are a lot of people <laughs> who really love Brewster and really vibe yeah. with it. And, and again, you see all the reasons why, but me and you don't necessarily. We think it's really odd and interesting and unique, uh, but not always great. I like uh, the Altmanisms in Cold Day in a Park a lot. I like the Altman zoom-ins, the tension built. Right. Um, it's, it was kind of like the, a, the, the, the defining early Altman film, what set the style. You know? Like a very soft misery. I think it, I think it works. Um yeah, I could put it on either side. I'd rather put it below, but uh, I don't have enough state. I like it as well, so I'm fine. Okay. Um, you want to put it between Popeye, Cold Day? Yeah, yeah. Unless you want to fight for it. I mean, that's kind of my fight. Is I I like Cold Day more, and I like Northwest things more than Southwest things. Uh, I'm trying to. Think. I, I can't. Or, play, this again, one not like, Southwest, I, obviously. Can I use um, this to barter with anything? Anything coming up? Like, should I? Should I? Uh, concede here i don't know because uh, does this make it harder to fit things around popeye um no I, I i think i think if we have popeye in this i think that's a good barometer going forward okay. because Pop, popeye then becomes the unique side of the spectrum that that things get a boost on and then vincent theo becomes the quality side of the spectrum where it's like these are good but there's they're, they're less noteworthy or less individualistic you okay. Know. So there so there's your divider there. I think Altman making a biopic isn't like the most interesting thing he could do, but making a Vincent movie is about the most interesting biopic he could make. I mean so. I mean, is is Popeye not just a like, Popeye biopic? <sighs> Very true, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's like Raging Bull. Um <laughs> But with but with a Popeye. cartoon man who yeah. eats spinach. <laughs> <laughs> That's entertainment. Um should I uh, read these again? I think we're I think we're good. Yeah, yeah. I think we're we're in agreement with this list, generally speaking. Yeah. Um, okay. McCabe and Miss Miller, Nashville, Three Women, The Long Goodbye, Come Back to the Five and Dime, Jimmy Dean, Jimmy Dean, Images, Secret Honor, California Split, Popeye, Vincent and Theo, Cold Day in the Park, Brewster McLeod, Buffalo Bill and the Indians Are Sitting Bulls, History Lesson, A Wedding, Mash, Full for Love, Health. Two H's, two capital H's. Uh, streamers, Thieves Like Us, A Perfect Couple, Quintet, O.C. Instigs, Delinquents, Countdown to Beyond Therapy. Fantastic. Yeah. Uh, uh, I, I see you have it written here. Uh, I see you put in uh, an ampersand for O.C. Instigs. It's actually an and here. Uh, I, I feel the need to make that distinction because it is important for the I other think one. 
bro was like, uh, you just like putting ampersands in where they don't belong because they're stylistically cool. And I was like, yeah, and then I never fixed it. So I'm doing the same thing. <laughs> it's like it became misspelled. You mean it's not like an incorporation? Um, no, between it's not. OC and Stakes? No, it's not, it's not a business partnership between them. They're just buds. Yeah, um, too late. I think that's the list. Uh, okay um, well, i guess, I guess buffalo bill and the indians is that is that one at ampersand no no okay um, well, that's too bad. Uh, even though even what though about vincent that and one, theo actually actually that that one is a business relationship now that you bring it up so I'm, I'm, but so it should be but it's not it's it's written out <laughs> i mean uh so uh, vincent theo does have the ampersand so i'm uh i'm, I'm correct I'm once because the five, the thing is, the five and dime is an ampersand, though. Okay, I, I feel like I'm very accomplished with how many ampersands are in this list. Um, yep. At least five. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> that doesn't show that I misuse them. Um, uh, we had them all over our wedding because I like them as a infinity symbol as well. Um, <laughs> uh, when we come back, we'll just have an ampersand. Okay. It'll just be written out the ampersand. Are there any? I guess I shit. should. I, I guess I should announce the next five so people can can keep up. Should I should I do that? Um. Yeah. Yeah. If you okay. if you'd like to do that. Next five in two weeks, we'll be talking about the player shortcuts, Predator or uh, ready to wear. I guess as it's called now. Kansas City and the Gingerbread Man. <laughs> That's a fun lineup. I'm I'm excited both about the ones that I know and the ones that I don't know. I, I like yeah, revisiting yeah, the players. This is, this is the big upswing, the '90s resurrection for Altman. We've got some some big names to hit out here, and uh, some that I I haven't seen or don't know too much about yet. So uh, yeah. look forward to all of that. Speaking of big names and not so big names, we have other shows on our podcast network. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm not gonna tell, tell you. you. I'm not. I'm not gonna pick which ones the big ones are not. They're all big in my heart. Yeah. Um, Adventures in Asian Cinema is a big name for a podcast, but they'll be taking an extended break as long with the Fright Files. will be on extended hiatus, so uh, hopefully those shows will come back before too long. But uh, uh, our active shows we have Daydream Cast and uh, 808 and Pod Break, uh, Breaking the Monsters and uh, Don't Let the Motorcast Get You. Um, any others to go over? Uh, Stacks is a Stacks, big deal. Yeah. yeah, they have like five different shows in there. I mean, mm -hmm. we could just start uh, notes from an author, uh, Office Hours. Um, yeah. Kino or they, no Kino? Yeah, something like that. They make it easy for you, though. You just got to subscribe to one podcast. Just look for the Stacks. We would never. You have at least eight or nine. Um, uh, the yeah, I'm actually I'm a little upset that they kind of screwed us out of a, a wider network by just consolidating <laughs> everything onto one. They didn't yeah. really check off if that was cool before they just went ahead and started making all these different things. I, I would rather have like a five different podcasts than one myself, but I, I understand that people are like subscribed to it and they actually see their shows, so that's good. Because uh, like people aren't subscribed to the Twin Geeks Interviews, which is a podcast just of our interviews with directors. That's a, a good thing to... Uh, go mm -hmm. see our uh, Mark Cousins interview because uh, I got to talk to cool people at least like three times uh, in this job. Not like this show though at all. No, yeah, it's, I, it's I, the opposite of that. Because I get to do that all the time with you. Um, that's different. Oh, oh. Uh, I, I also got to talk to Karita at some point, and uh, I mean, there's a few cool interviews there. Um, that was that was really cool. What was he like? Um, 
he made me repeat a question four times, <laughs> which made me extremely <laughs> nervous because I had never worked with a Japanese uh, interpreter before. And it was about him losing his fastball as a director, which is a, our oh. friend, uh, uh, Yep, or Oliver, uh, recommended to me, like, a, which seemed like a hard, harsh question. So I was like, a, uh, Mr. Korea, you uh, seem to be losing your fastball as a director. And he kept making me repeat it. And like, I was just blushing so badly by the end. Uh, so I, I cut it up in the episode, but you could still feel like the hesitancy, the fourth reading I gave it before he answers there. And, uh, and he gave a really fascinating answer about like, yeah. Like as you as you age, you just change your style of pitches. You learn different pitches, and you pitch at a different speed than you used to pitch at. It doesn't make it worse. It just means that you've uh, kind of aged out of the material you had before. I just thought that was a really brilliant answer for a hard question that I had to repeat four times. <laughs> uh, intimidating. That was, uh, um, yeah, some uh, really good stuff there. And I've never really plugged that. That's a separate feed though that I that I like curating even though it's just mm -hmm. me talking to people so far. Uh, I hope to have other people do it. That's a great plug for that. Thanks for, for sharing that again, Calvin. And check out the Twin Geeks interviews if you want to hear that blushful conversation with Corita. <laughs> uh, there's also, yeah, a Daydream cast. I went to a PAX West with Murph. I did a day there. He did four days, which is uh, just how the workload goes when you're on top, baby. That's uh, that's how the being editor-in-chief of the site, you, you do less work and you exploit others for their um ability oh, to do yeah. more way way to live the capitalist dream <laughs> oh yeah making so much money um uh, uh, that was really fun really fun to hang out with murph and he did some really great write-ups i have another write-up coming up um about the indie rising showcase which is a collection of 12 games that i was kind of passionate about i talked to most of the directors recorded some interviews and uh, kind of compiled that into impressions and that and Murph's covered like 20 or 30-something games also for the website. So uh, just extensive video game coverage that we've never quite had in a written format right now. Yeah, so please check those out on the website, thetwingeeks.com, for some great writing from Murph about PAX, which uh, seems like it was super cool, a lot of fun. Yeah, um, and they'll do an episode, either, you know, not their next one, but the one after that possibly. They'll, they'll have a, a PAX special where it's just them too, but... Uh, that should be fun to hear. Uh, video games are cool. Um, and yeah, we'll, we'll continue doing our music show. Our, our monster show is coming back very shortly. Uh, a lot of things stalled out, but a lot of things moving forward too. So that's fun. Yeah. Always content though. There's always yeah. stuff for you here at the Twin Geeks. And we'll always find ways to work with each other, whether we're taking breaks or we're taking breaks with some of our friends who are very busy with like their doctorate work or whatever they're doing. Uh, I think it's important that we just keep finding avenues to like produce content, and uh, we've never had more content. So even when I feel like I'm like struggling trying to keep shows together and and like form things that are new, I feel like it's it's always uh, when the site's actually doing best when I'm like uh, struggling the most with like, is this working? <laughs> That's right. fine. Well, looking forward to talking to you next time about more Altman films. Uh... It feels like we're we're getting closer to the end, but there's still so much to cover. So that's exciting. Yeah, we must have a lot more, right? There's two. There's two more eight more. So, so ten, okay. ten films, ten films in total to cover. Uh, that's a lot more when you consider that's more than like the whole breadth of like our uh, cocktail discussions. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's uh, okay. We got this. Two more okay. shows. All right, time to retire off to watch a bunch of Altman movies for the next couple of weeks. All right, take See care, you. buddy.
choices But you picked mine out of all the voices I record my thoughts and my conversations And I post them online for entertainment It's nice to know At least you listen to the show Because it's quite the possibility That nobody is listening to me In this modern world Things have changed Everybody's entertaining Who's being entertained? Mine out of all the voices.